If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and as you do that, uh, let me begin by saying that the word season is defined by Webster's Dictionary as a predictable sequence of events that occur at the same time every year. I'll kind of say that again so it kind of sinks in. A season is defined as a predictable sequence of events that occur at the same time every year. Television programs are often marked as seasons, as is the flu season, or even the weather seasons like spring, summer, fall, and winter. So it feels kind of awkward when we try and change them. Would you agree? For example, when I said last week that the winter season begins in, on November 21st, Brother Kelly was kind enough to gently let me know after the service that it doesn't begin until December 21st. And he is correct. It wasn't an intentional error on my part, but I still had to repent in dust and ashes. So I drove home after church, went out in the backyard, and no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I want to tell you that there was another one that was intentional. Let me just share this with you. Last Wednesday, of course, which was the day before Thanksgiving, Dr. Esther Cho a professor of medicine at Oregon Health and Science University and a media columnist tweeted this message. For so many reasons, Thanksgiving should be canceled. Winter holidays should be moved to the summer and should be more huga. That's a Scandinavian word, perhaps Danish, that is defined as surrounding yourself with things that make life good. Now, I'm sure that nobody would lament one's intention to make the holiday season cozier, but in a much less self-serving way, there is one tradition that is unchangeably embedded in the church, and that is the Advent season. The time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a crucial time of expectant waiting and spiritual preparation for the joyful remembrance of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So consistent with that tradition, our preaching plan beginning today has a single focus each Lord's Day on the incarnation of Jesus from different perspectives. It's like looking into the same room through four different windows, if you will. We begin this morning with the prophetic announcement, an appropriate place to begin back in the Old Testament. And it's a prophetic announcement of the birth of Jesus. Now, there are several messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, but the most powerful and the most descriptive prophecy is found here in Isaiah. He ministered to four Judean kings over a period of 62 years, beginning around 740 BC. So these words were written eight centuries before the birth of the Lord Jesus. And look what he said in verses 6 and 7. Could you please look there with me and follow along as I read them? 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, here, way back in Isaiah, God revealed his plan for redeeming the world. Without it, every person would remain a sinner separated from God and destined for a terrible future. The Bible says that everyone born since the fall of Adam comes into the world in that condemned condition, but it also says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? He redeemed our life by his love and he made it available to us by faith in his finished work on the cross, which is the only way to salvation. He said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Isaiah tells us in this passage almost 3,000 years ago is how he will be identified when he does come. First, it will be a physical birth. Verse 6 says to us, a child will be born to us. The Hebrew here means that a human God child will be naturally birthed, not naturally conceived, naturally birthed. Isaiah wrote two chapters back in 7.14. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she, and she, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What a gift we have. So first, it's going to be a physical birth. Second, we're told, that the, we're told the reason for the birth of the son. Verse 6 also says, this child is born to us. So we can relate to his humanity as he shows us how to live for our God with his own sinless life. When we confess him as our Savior, we begin that process of being conformed to his image through obedience to his word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So first, there's going to be a physical birth. Second, we're told the reason for his birth here. And third, we're told that this son is a gift from God. Verse 6 also says a son will be what? given to us. You can't buy a gift. You can't earn a gift. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. And this is where God's plan of saving us practically begins. It is the point in time when God gave his son to the world to be the savior of those who are called to believe in him. And I hope in earnest that includes all of you here this morning. If it doesn't, you can change that by receiving Jesus as your Lord, which is exactly what God desires. But the point is, it doesn't change what God did in giving his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So we know that it was a physical birth. We know the reason for the birth of the son. We're told, it was a, we're told it's a gift. And fourth, we are told 
this thing starts to fly. <laughs> I'm going to cut away for a second because it just, when you, when you read this, these, the sequence of these words and actions, it just begins to soar. Because fourth, we are told the sun will rule the world. Verse 6 says, the government will rest on his shoulders. And this is kind of a Hebrew idiom that means to take ownership and rule by shouldering the load. When you take something on your shoulders, you bear the burden of, and, and, and the provision for, provision for that, that entire weight. You control where the burden goes, how fast it goes there, how long it takes to get there, and where it eventually stops. Jesus is the one who takes full responsibility for the destiny of the world. He did that when he took the title deed of the universe out of God's hand in Revelation 5. Do you remember? Turn there with me. This is just a brief little uh, excursion, if you will. Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this is God, a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. This is the title deed to the universe. It's in God's hand. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming. What emotion there is in this passage. Don't miss it. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. John said, and then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What a vision that John had here, because look what they sang. A new song saying, verse 9, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. John said, and I, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heavens and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So we are told that the birth of this son given by God who will save the world from its sin will also be the only one who determines 
its destiny and the future of every person who ever lived, who is living now, or ever will be. I hope that's comforting to you this morning. And it should be very provoking for those who are not believers. There are five reasons why we should all be excited about the advent of his birth. First, Scripture tells us in Isaiah, because he's wonderful. Now, we use that word a lot. But I wonder if we ever really stop to think, what does it mean? His name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful means too marvelous to understand. Kyle from Kyle and Delich says, Wonder is a phenomenon that lies completely beyond human conception. In this case, someone who inspires excitement and mystery in our hearts. When we read about the perfection and the excellence of the Lord's life and works, his sinlessness, his sacrificial death, his miraculous resurrection, and his amazing ascension, we're astonished at how any of these things could be. He is wonderful because he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1.3. He is wonderful because he is the way, the truth, and the life, as we read. Only he can buy us back into God's grace. He is wonderful because he is the door to salvation. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the true vine. And he's the resurrection and the life from John 11. He's wonderful because he's now seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and me. Hebrews 7, 25. He's wonderful because he's going to welcome us into our eternal home when we take our last mortal breath, John 14. And he's wonderful because he's going to return someday. And he's going to take back what is rightfully his, and he's going to rule in power and glory. He is truly wonderful. Second, he's our counselor. In Isaiah's day, a counselor was a man who was completely trusted to give successful guidance to people's lives. A good counselor knew what to say and to do in any situation. A good counselor had the wisdom to apply truth, biblical truth, in the right way. He was a man of deep understanding and a deep desire to help other people. So you could put your life into his hands and follow his counsel with all that you have and all that you are. That's Jesus. He's a good counselor. Isaiah says this son will grow up to be just such a counselor. He will be fully capable, Isaiah was thinking, and could be trusted to give correct advice for the good of his people. He himself will never need a word of counsel, but will instead counsel those who are without counsel and in need of direction in their life. He is and always will be our wonderful counselor because he is nothing other than third, mighty God. Notice, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Why would we ever want or need any other counsel than that which comes from the creator and the sustainer of all things? Don't know. The term mighty God in Hebrew is, is El Gibor. El Gibor. The all-powerful one. Gibor meaning all power. That's Jesus. Moses 
described El Gibor as the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. That's Jesus. Jeremiah described El Gibor as the God who is great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and, ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. That's Jesus. And Nehemiah described El Gibor as God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness forever. That's Jesus. And we sang this earlier from Psalm 24. Thank you for that worship team. In Psalm 24, verse 8, David said, he asked, Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, El Gibor. The Lord mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. That's Jesus. Who else could be 100% man and 100% God and get away with it? Who else lived a completely sinless life? Who else would take the government of the world on his shoulders? Be capable of that. Who else is capable of crushing the power of sin in our lives? Defeat Satan at the cross and three days later at the tomb of his resurrection demonstrate the power to convert the, anybody who comes to him in the world from sinhood to sainthood to give you life forever from the grave. Who else is able to sit at the right hand of the Father only to return when the time is right to rule over the universe in complete justice and righteousness. Who else could deeply love you and me forever to forgive us completely, to redeem us from a hopeless future, to purify us and invite us to share his home in heaven? Mighty God, fully divine, fully human. That's Jesus. He's also an eternal father. An interesting word to use here for a son. But it means an overseer, a provider, and a, prote and a protector. Used in that way. He is a, a tender lover of his children. He is faithful to his kingdom family. He's the greatest protector we could ever want and the all-sufficient provider for every one of our needs. That's Jesus. And finally, we are told that he is the prince of peace. He has authority over all peace-disturbing powers, and he is able to secure tranquility for us in our hearts and to bring peace to the lives of everyone in his kingdom. And it comes by faith in this El Gibur, eternal father, prince of peace. Zechariah says a, a prince of peace is able to cut a warrior's bow in half bring peace to the nations and prevail over that dominion from sea to sea. That's Jesus. And Paul said in Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. And because of that, here we read in verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. There will be endless peace under the rule of the great Messiah because he is wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. 
He will uphold his kingdom zealously with perfect justice and righteousness forever and ever and ever. This is Jesus, Lord, Savior, Son of God, and he is awesome. This is the one whose birth we are preparing to celebrate on December 25th. This morning, today, we, we gather around the force of Isaiah's prophecy. We wait expectantly and prepare ourselves spiritually through hearing of the word and through singing and worship to remember the meaning of his birth on that very, very special morning. For this is the Christ in the word Christmas. May it never, ever be forgotten. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, words escape me for what, what words could a human speak to you in recognition and of, of this amazing event than the words spoken by the prophet who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we lay all of this, Lord, at your feet and ask that it would be, you would just melt it into our hearts Give it power and impact. Cause it, I pray, Lord, to begin to change our lives in the way that we look toward the, the, the day when the true advent occurs. We thank you for Isaiah's prophecy, for in so many Old Testament passages, there was this prediction. But none with such detail, and it moves our hearts, Lord. It, it, it melts us, it causes us to be thankful and to look to you and say, Lord, keep us there. Keep us thankful. It is a humbling thing, Lord, to see that Jesus, who in his humility left his throne in heaven and descended here to earth to become a, a, a baby, be born in such humble surroundings, and then to be raised in that sinful life and, and to show us the, what, what God looks like. We thank you for him. And I pray this morning, God, that we would, over these next days and weeks, as it comes to the day that we celebrate his birth on Christmas morning, that we would not forget these truths and, and return to it often, and thereby grow in our faith that we would pray for in his precious name. Amen. <laughs>